is episode five of Merrick Has Issues. If you're new here, this is a show where I talk about comic books I like, or sometimes comics I don't like, um, pop culture stuff that I'm into, and just miscellaneous life stuff as the mood strikes me. I'm actually recording this episode on Wednesday. That's right. I said I was going to be recording over the weekend, but then I didn't do that. Instead, I took some time to work on my computer, uh, get it all cleaned up, and I upgraded my operating system, and just in general, you know, I got my desk shit together sort of a thing. Uh, So my workspace feels nice right now, and honestly, I think that recording on Wednesdays might work better for me, but that will also mean that episodes don't release until Thursday or Friday, depending on how much time I have to edit. But, you know, Wednesdays are new comic book day, so that means I'll be able to get home from work and pet my dog and then transition right into more comics talk while it's all still fresh on my mind and I'm feeling social and talkative. So I think it'll be good for me, but we'll see how it goes. Last episode was very comics heavy because we were playing catch up. And there's definitely some really good shit to talk about in this episode, too. But I also want to cover some stuff that basically I keep forgetting about whenever I sit down to do episode prep. Um, So mostly like some of the TVs and TV shows and movies that I've watched recently. And I do also want to still do a segment on skincare. I've touched on it a little bit in the past, but I want to do more. Uh, But I don't think we're going to have time for that in this episode. But that means that you have time to submit some skincare questions if you have them. I, I recently actually, I pinned some question prompts to the story highlights on my Instagram. So if you go into the podcast Instagram, which is... Merrick has issues. You go into my main profile there and then one of the little round bubbles towards the top is question prompts. So that will always be there. If you're scrolling around on Instagram or you see something cool, uh, just a couple clicks away to ask a question there, including but not limited to skincare. Uh, Just something to keep in mind. And then, of course, I've got the contact form set up on my website, too, so that's always an option. Yeah, so, okay, comics. Let's dig in. I want to kick off with a little bit of listener input. Actually, this was well-timed. Dude of Destiny commented that he's, quote, been super into all the Conan comics Marvel has been releasing. He said, it's great inspiration for Dungeons & Dragons. Well, dude... That's really excellent that you're digging all the Conan. So am I. But it's particularly excellent because this week we got two new Conan series from Marvel. One is Age of Conan Valeria, which is another five-issue arc focused on a female character pulled from the original Conan novels. I'm less familiar with Valeria than I was with Belit, Uh, But I liked the Belit arc a lot, so why not? It's only five issues. And, you know, she still, she looks cool, kind of a pirate-looking chick, but not in the way that Belit was. I don't know. If, If 
you like Conan, give it a shot. Why not? Um, the other Conan series that launched this week, which I'm super stoked on, is... Oh, gosh, what's it called? I keep forgetting. Conan Exodus. So Exodus is about a 15-year-old Conan as he's first venturing away from his homeland of Samaria. And this the series is notable because it is both drawn and written by Isad Ribic. And it is gorgeous. You are doing yourself a disservice if you don't pick up this book. It is definitely top-notch. Ribic has been doing the cover art for the Conan series, for Conan the Barbarian. Um, and I'm just, I'm incredibly thankful that they are giving him a shot at some interiors with this character because there is no disappointment here. It is a beautiful story. Uh, and it's interesting because, at least for the first issue, it's largely speechless. Like, Ribic isn't known necessarily as a comics author. And I know that the easy joke is, well, he's still not writing any comics because there's no dialogue. But guys, you still got to write a plot, okay? You still got to write a series of events that occur during the span of this issue or five issues or whatever so that you know what to draw, okay? So don't, don't be a pedantic ass that he's not actually writing anything. He wrote this book and he's drawing this book and he's drawing the fuck out of it. Uh, overall, no disappointment. It's a beautiful story. Pulling back a little, I think, to be fair, I've been digging the main Conan the Barbarian stuff a little bit more than Savage Sword, but I'm still sticking with both and now more for a bit longer just to see how the character of Conan continues to develop at Marvel before I go cutting any titles from my pull list. So we'll see. But yeah, uh, Dude of Destiny, you are definitely on the right track there. Marvel is killing it with these Conan releases. My other favorite comic book for this episode and of these past two weeks is a book from Image called Coffin Bound. I'm not very familiar with either the writer, Dan Waters, or the artist, Danny, but I can tell you that they both knocked it right out of the park um, on this first issue. The series is phenomenal, and I really hope that your local comic shop still has some copies, and if not, you should totally order issue one, and probably order issue two, just to make sure. Um, I... I don't think that you're going to not like it, you know? I actually had the fortune to read the first three issues of Coffin Bound via Image's retailer newsletter. And it's kind of funny because I still can't quite explain this comic. I can't quite tell you what it's about. It's nigh indescribable. Um, the term road trip fever dream has been used in some of the reviews and that definitely applies. Uh, it definitely has a fever dream surrealist quality to it and really it's been a journey unto itself with no particular destination in sight and you know what they say guys it is about the journey that's what we're here for right? The dialogue in Coffin Bound is in some ways unnecessarily loquacious, 
but I absolutely love it. Like this dialogue is ridiculously verbose and yet does not seem out of place in the least. Um, the art is splendid. I love it. I love the color palette. Um, the character design is wonderful. Like every, every weird lead character I'm just all the way in love with. And it's kind of given me that cosplay itch because there's, there's a costuming element that appears, I think in issue three, there's a mask that our main character wears that I'm like, oh, I kind of want to make that, you know? Gosh. So if I had to try to summarize this, basically we've got a young woman who is running from a hit that someone from her past put out on her. And so she's backtracking through her life to erase any remaining traces of herself so that I guess maybe she can escape her future or lack thereof if the hitman succeeds. So yeah, I guess that's what's going on. <laughs> that honestly is a disservice to this book because it's an experience unto itself. And I can't explain that. I can't explain Coffinbound any more than that. So please just go read it for yourself and enjoy this general sense of confusion with me because three issues in, I couldn't tell you what it is. So issue one is hopefully still available from Image Comics. This week we also had White Trees, issue one of two, uh, which is a miniseries written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Chris Anka and Matt Wilson. Hi, Manju. Yes, it's only two issues and no... I don't know why. They are double-sized issues and each are $4.99, so presumably this will make a perfectly fine $10 trade paperback, but I don't usually feel compelled to purchase two-issue miniseries. Like three is kind of cutting it close, but I'll do it. Five issues, totally, but only two issues. It's an odd choice to me. Um, so yeah, not my usual fare, but I will make an exception for White Trees because it's got a lot of peen in it. Yep. And after decades and decades of boobs boobily bouncing about and spines engaging in torsion that is not humanly possible, I am definitely ready to support some illustrated phalluses. Dicks aside, it is a beautiful book. Um, I didn't get a chance to read it today. I've just flipped through it a little bit and the art is stellar. So there's that. That's an option for you. Also out this week is Punisher Kill Crew issue one. That's crew with a K. It's very alliterative that way. <laughs> and I know that me talking about a Punisher book seems kind of like gratuitous mention, but I'm going to bring it up nonetheless because it's my podcast. Um, <laughs> this series, Kill Crew, follows events from War of the Realms and sees Frank Castle taking on Asgardian monsters. Now, I didn't read any at all of the War of the Realms stuff, but I really don't think that that's necessarily a prerequisite for enjoying just some ridiculous pages of Punisher killing monsters, you know? So yeah, whether you've read War of the Realms and you have any idea why Frank Castle is fighting monsters, or 
you just think it sounds like a really cool premise, definitely pick it up. Um, I am ordering a particular variant cover that I will show you guys when I get it in. I'll post that up on my Instagram because it's a really cool variant. And the standard cover is absolutely lovely and gets the point across, but I really liked the costuming bit in this other variant I have on order. So yeah. Uh, the last comic I want to mention on this episode is a reprint of an older book by Alejandro Jodorowsky and Milo Minara. This book is a reprint of the Borges. I think I said that right, Borges? Borges, yeah. Uh, so it's the Borges coming to us from Dark Horse Comics. This book is sexy, it's violent, it's Italian. That's redundant. And it's a comic book that I definitely want in my collection. I love Milo Minara's art and I recognize that uh, his work can definitely be seen as problematic at times. I acknowledge that in my reading his books and that's, you know, totally up to me. You can make your own decision on that if you want to read somebody who overtly sexual sexualizes women, but he also draws gorgeous women. You know what I was saying about there's been decades of boobs boobily boobing? That's Milo Minara. He's the boobiliest, I suppose. Don't tell him I said that. That's horrible. Um, but he draws a good boob, you know? So I, I definitely want to pick this up, but I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon uh, because it's a $60 book. And that's, that's a little bit for my budget right now. That's a bit for my comics budget. But this print edition from Dark Horse is, I if I recall correctly, it's the first time that the Borges has been translated into English. So it was actually translated by the same person who did the Black Sad translations. If you're familiar with the Black Sad crime noir anthropomorphic cat series, also from Dark Horse. Same translator. I have good faith in them because Black Sad was amazing. We'll get there someday, guys. I'll have this book eventually. And I think too, this is the only time that Jodorowsky and Minara ever worked together. So that is certainly not for nothing because they are both quite notable creators in their own right. Oh, and actually one more book I wanna mention, also a reprint. There is a new edition of Stephen King's book, Cycle of the Werewolf, which had spot illustrations by Bernie Wrightson. I don't know what prompted this reprint apart from general licensing arrangements uh, with his estate. If, if you're not familiar, Bernie Wrightson passed away a few years ago, and so I think we're getting a slow trickle of his works reprinted and available for purchase once again, which is lovely. Uh, but definitely Cycle of the Werewolf is a great book to pick up if you like either Stephen King or Bernie Wrightson, or honestly, if you like Stranger Things. Um, there was a movie adaptation of Cycle of the Werewolf in the 80s. The movie was called Silver Bullet. And I can't say that I would necessarily recommend Silver Bullet. It's, it doesn't hold up uh, terribly well, but it is super fun. So if you want some campy horror, it's worth a watch. But in the meantime, yeah, if you like the new Stranger Things TV series, definitely pick this one up. It's a fun little piece to add to your collection of 80s lifestyle werewolf horror books. Yeah, okay. I'm done. That was it. I'm done for real this time.
Uh, sort of. Okay, so while we're on the topic of comics, Scott JHPDX, that's his Instagram, Scott asked, what do you wish readers understood better about the comics retailer business? That is actually a really phenomenal question. It's really hard to narrow in on any single answer for this, but I would say that right now the thing that is showing up the most for me is understanding of how comic shops simply order comics. And I know it sounds like that should be a simple thing. Um, like there's a series that's starting and we order 10 copies and it shows up and we sell 10 copies. Like that sort of a thing. Easy peasy. Done. But it is really so much more convoluted than that. Uh, and this is me speaking as somebody who does not handle main ordering for my shop. I provide backup for the shop's owner. So mostly he's the one doing all the hard work and I just supplement and elbow him to order more of the shit that I really like. So that being said, it is really convoluted, especially when you consider that there are at least a hundred books coming out every week, you know, a hundred single issues, uh, graphic novels, trade paperbacks, kids and YA books, whatever. There's at least a hundred, usually more than that. I, cause we don't even order any, everything, but yeah, it's a lot. There's a very high volume of new releases out every single week in the comics industry. And the part that starts to complicate things is that we have to order stuff three months in advance, which means that comic shops have to predict sales on something three months before it's available for purchase in a store. And so when you're talking about something like, say, a random issue of Batman, that's not going to be too difficult because it's stable in its buying patterns, and we can reasonably predict how many copies we'll sell. But when you're talking about, say, a trade paperback for a miniseries that only had five issues, or you're talking about something like Jonathan Hickman's House of X and Powers of Ten series, which are both bi-weekly, that becomes so much more complicated, exponentially so. Because how do you predict stuff like that? A lot of publishers don't really start to advertise or market a book until closer to the release date. And by then, we've usually already submitted our final numbers for how many copies we'll have in stock in a retail store. So it's a really difficult thing, and there's, there's no reliable algorithm or calculation a local comic shop can use when we're trying to figure out how many copies of something to order for our shelves. This is part of why having a subscription box is very valuable for both you as a consumer so that you don't miss out on the titles that you're excited about, but also for us as retailers to make sure that we are ordering enough copies of a book to meet demand. Having box customers who add upcoming books to their pull list can be super valuable. There's also, you know, some publishers are really good about sending out advanced reader copies of books before the order cutoff date, which is amazingly valuable, at least to me, because it gives us an opportunity to actually read the book and know that it's amazing and start to figure out, you know, how many of our customers are actually going to be interested in a book like this based on their personalities and their current reading list. 
To be honest, the whole comics distribution system is incredibly fucked up, and it's entirely outdated, and I would love for it to be something that we could easily just change up over to a new system overnight, but as we know, comics nerds don't like change. And I don't really have a solution to this problem, which is frustrating, because I know it's something that a lot of retailers talk about, but there's definitely no easy fix for it. And it's definitely something that's beyond me as a store manager. But I can tell you that, yeah, so what's been valuable for me in the past is advanced reader copies. Um, so I can start to tailor my recommendations to customers at least the day it comes out, even if I didn't get more copies ordered, or hopefully, you know, I read a book before it's released and I'm able to get in a few more copies before shelf date. Also valuable is creators putting in the effort to market and promote your work ahead of time, um, making sure that your fans understand the timing and the schedule of things, understanding when the final order cutoff is so they should get their order in before then, and, you know, understanding the value of a subscription box and making sure that, you know, advertise the hell out of a release date and keep it as accurate as you can. Maybe someday we'll have a solution to our great comics distribution woes, but in the meantime, all we can do is talk, have conversations with creators, with other readers, with your staff at your local comic shop, and try to do the best we can to stay ahead of things. Oof. Okay. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I tried to warn you, that's a really tricky question, and I'm not sure my answer really did its, did that particular answer service for now. But, you know, Scott, ask me again in a month, and I'll probably have a completely different answer for you, I am sure. And in the meantime, let's switch over to talk about some comics peripheral entertainment I've been catching up on. I went and saw The Kitchen this past weekend, which was great, and I definitely am glad I saw it in the theater because I really want to support non-superhero comic book adaptations. And The Kitchen was one of my fave comic book series at the time it was being released. So this comic book, this movie, uh, The Kitchen, is based on a DC Vertigo series that ran eight issues back across 2015 and 16. It was written by Ollie Masters and drawn by Ming Doyle, whom I love. She's a big old nerd, and it's awesome. Uh, and she draws great, you know? So The Kitchen was about a trio of women in the late 70s whose husbands get busted for, you know, doing crime and racketeering and that sort of a thing. And their husbands get sent away to prison, and the women have to take care of themselves. But there's also no jobs available, and they don't really have any skills apart from housewife stuff, whatever. So they do what? They take over the protection business from their husbands, and honestly, they do it better. Uh, <laughs> the movie had a great cast with Elizabeth Moss, Melissa McCarthy, and Tiffany Haddish as the three main characters totally owning their wardrobe elevations, you know, as they go from just your general housewife 
beat up girlfriend sort of a thing and escalating into these women who are getting shit done. Uh, I love seeing how they're costuming and their, their clothing and jewelry and makeup and hair evolves over the course of their evolution. And, you know, cinematically, the movie did a great job of capturing that era. Not that I was alive at the time, uh, but it definitely, it felt pretty authentic in terms of the setting, the clothing, the lifestyles that was being portrayed. And they really allowed these actresses a great opportunity to do some work that was not necessarily comedic. And I think that's the roles that we know most of them through. Um, Elizabeth Moss, maybe less so because of Handmaid's Tale and Mad Men. But like Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish, I know both of them from comedy stuff, not so much any serious acting. So it was really cool to see something different for each of them. And, you know, yeah, there was a bunch of male actors fleshing out the rest of the the character roles. But whatever, this movie is definitely 100% about the women and about the difference you can make in supporting women instead of trying to always be better than women and what women can create on their own. Bit of, bit of a cautionary tale there, fellas. <laughs> uh, I would say that this movie is kind of a slow burn. The action is definitely solid, but nothing over the top. So if nothing else, see it in a beer theater or a second run theater if you don't want to pay that whole 15 bucks for a new release. Um, I did see this at a Regal Cinema, and I bought the tickets online, and I ended up getting a, a redemption code to get the first issue of The Kitchen via Comixology. So that was kind of cool that I saw a comic book movie that was not a traditional comic book movie, and then I got a free comic book out of that. Um, I hope that a lot of people take up Regal on this offer for the free comic and that it turns them over to picking up the original printed material. There was a copy of, or sorry, there was a new print edition of The Kitchen that came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, it kind of snuck up on me, so I figured I'd wait to see the movie before I talked about it. But if you like this, or if you want to read the comic book first, there should be a new edition available in your shop's DC section. So hit them up for sure. And, you know, like I said, it's really important to support a comic book adaptation that isn't going to be an obvious blockbuster because there are so many amazing stories in comics that don't involve anyone uh, wearing fancy tights or a cape, right? Lots of lots of other stuff out there in comics land. So support it, support women, and go see The Kitchen, or at least by the graphic novel. I also recently finished up the DC Swamp Thing TV show. And, you know, this was one season and it was, it was okay. I know I was real big on it when I first started watching it. Um, and I think some of my enthusiasm waned because I didn't continue to see any elevation of the effects or of the characters in the series. It's just that it was amazing and new at first, and then it continued solidly of the same caliber presentation, and then it ended. And if we only get those 10 episodes of Swamp Thing, I guess I'm going to be okay with that. Um, it is what it is, you know. 
I kind of feel like there were some scenes in the last few episodes that bordered on cheesy for me, either in terms of special effects, but also the plot line. Um, you can totally tell that they were working to set things up for some spinoff series, like obviously trying to set up for a Blue Devil spinoff series. Is there demand for that? I just don't know, especially if DC can't guarantee uh, a high production quality because they can't justify the cost of it. I don't know. But, you know, I do still say, all that being said, I do still feel that the Swamp Thing 10 episodes are definitely worth the watch. Um, If it ever comes out on a DVD, pick up the box set, whatever, that'll be perfect because then you can just buzz right through it. Or, you know, now that it's concluded, sign up for the DC Entertainment streaming channel, watch it all in one weekend, and don't renew it for a second month. You know, just do it one month at a time. That's fine too. I wouldn't say no to a second season of Swamp Thing, but if this is what we get, it's what we got. And then, been playing a lot of catch up on movies that I didn't see in the theater. Uh, I used to go see a lot, a lot of movies in the theater, but after getting a dog, a lot of that has quieted down just because I would literally rather sit at home with my dog and maybe risk spoilers for a movie I don't go see than to sit in a movie theater for three hours and spend 20 bucks. I'm just kind of mad on it. So lots of playing movie catch up anymore. Um... What did I watch? Oh, I recently started watching the newer Aquaman movie with Jason Momoa. Note that I said that I started watching it. It's true, I have yet to finish watching Aquaman. Right now, I see no reason to finish it. I'm sorry, I know there are some deep Aquaman fans out there. The character is cool, I like him. I just don't care about this movie. I don't care about the characters. I don't care about the plot. The only thing that was pulling me forward through the movie was waiting for the next cool fight scene or action chase scene because the whole underwater thing does add a nice three-dimensionality to the chase scenes, right? But otherwise, I just could not get invested. The best way I can describe this movie is, well, you've seen Zoolander, right? Of course you've seen Zoolander. It was amazing. That was a great movie. And so you remember the commercial. um, So Zoolander is sitting in a bar with his dad and his brothers after a long day in the mines. And a commercial comes on the TV. And it's the commercial for water where Zoolander was playing a merman. You remember that, right? Well, Aquaman feels like the extended director's cut of that commercial. Yes, Momoa is a great Aquaman, but like any other movie that he's in, I just feel like I'm watching Jason Momoa be Jason Momoa while dressed up as some random character. So I guess this one's not quite for me, but I do kind of want to rewatch Zoolander now. I also uh, finally caught up and watched Alita Battle Angel which that movie was rad as fuck, and I really enjoyed it. 
Um, it's been, gosh, at least a decade since I've read any of the Battle Angel comics, but from what I do recall, this movie did a pretty stellar job of pulling in a lot of at least that first volume of the original manga into a movie format, and I felt like Google image searching and revisiting a lot of the art from it, I felt it really captured the look of the original series, like even down to Alita's cybernetic enhancements and, you know, the segmentation of her fingers sort of a thing. Like, I thought they did a pretty good job getting a page accurate representation of the characters on screen. Uh, and her, her attitude, her personality too was really strong. So yeah, it was cool to see how they adapted from a black and white comic to a full motion picture that was definitely gorgeous and lush and full of cybernetic lights and metal and action. I did really enjoy this one, obviously, and they did totally cue it up at the end for a potential sequel, which would be cool. I do hope that they make that. I would love to see more of this particular universe. And, you know, honestly, I, I just want to see more cyberpunk in general. But I do know that they recently started reprinting the original manga series, so those should be pretty accessible if you saw this movie and you're curious to check out the source material and maybe we get a head start on what we could expect from a potential sequel. And, you know, with the Cyberpunk 2077 game on the horizon next year, reading some cyberpunk manga sounds like great inspiration to me. Well, okay, I think that's it for me this week. Um, like I said earlier, next episode we're going to talk about some skincare, so if you have any questions therein or favorite products that you love and want to recommend, go ahead and write in and, you know, send me a message, however is easiest for you, because I'd love to include your skincare questions and comments on that next episode. And also, thank you guys for putting up with my kind of off and on recording schedule over this past month. I know I've made this disclaimer already, but this is still kind of a new thing for me at only five episodes in. So I'm still, I think we're getting it all figured out. Um, I'm definitely feeling more comfortable with the production schedule, just some tweaks here and there. So yeah, thank you for your patience, folks. You know, to be honest, I actually, I haven't looked at any of the stats for the show yet. So I have no idea how many people are listening or subscribed. I'm thinking at least three of you are listening, I hope. <laughs> but it's kind of nice to not be interested in any stats for this, just kind of let it be, let it do its thing, um, and not have to worry about how it's performing because I'm having some fun with it, you know? It's just, it's been really nice to make the thing, publish the thing, promote the thing, and then hopefully have some people listen to the thing. Um, so here we are, at the end of the episode, you have clearly listened to this thing. So again, thank you guys. I appreciate that you are along for the ride with me and I hope you're enjoying it so far. That's it from me and I'll talk to you all next time. Bye. This has been Merrick Has Issues, produced and edited by Merrick Monroe. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Please throw in a rating too, if you feel like it. It really helps other people find the show. For news and announcements and additional content, you can follow the podcast online. I'm Merrick Has Issues on both Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter is NHI Podcast. The theme music for Merrick Has Issues is provided by Keelan King from his Star Pilot Remixes album. You can learn more about this podcast and find my show notes for the episode at merrickhasissues.com. Thank you.